There was a lot of stunts. I mean, Gilligan did a lot of that stuff himself. Uh, I think the funniest person on the set was the professor. He had the greatest sense of humor. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. This is On Screen and Beyond, and this is episode 261, and I am your host, Brian Zemrak, and this is the weekly show that keeps you updated on what's coming your way as far as upcoming new movies, remakes, sequels, and TV and movie DVD releases, as well as our interview segment with a guest from the movie, TV, or music industry. This week, Don Wells pops in to talk with us here at On Screen and Beyond, and we got a lot to talk about it. Don's been a guest here before at On Screen and Beyond, but this episode was actually a recording that we made at a live presentation that uh, the California Independent Film Festival had, and I was asked to do the moderating for it. And it was so much fun to be on stage with Don, and uh, I've held off on this one because, uh, like I said last week with Connie Stevens, uh, I wanted to have the video to be able to show you, but unfortunately that's not going to happen, or not for a while anyways, so I want to get these out for you. And uh, Don was a great guest. We had a lot of fun on stage. I had people come up and was singing to her and everything else, and you're going to hear it all right here on On Screen and Beyond. It's coming up in a few minutes right here, so be sure to stick around for that. And uh, this past week, right after last week's broadcast, we found out that uh, Frank Banks, who played Lumpy on Leave it to Beaver, has passed away. So uh, we've had a, had a string of people passing away, and unfortunately, Frank Banks was uh, the latest. So we uh, want to keep him in mind and uh, his family, and uh, we uh, thank you for all the fun he gave us back uh, when he was on that show. It was a lot of fun. So... What do you say? Uh, we are going to get into Remake Madness, and then in a little while, Don Wells will be here, so stick around. Up next, Remake Madness. And try again. Remake Madness, well, Luke Evans of Fast and Furious 6 will star in the new remake of Dracula, and the director of Mark Wahlberg's Invincible, Erickson Kaur, will be at the helm of the remake of Patrick Swayze's Point Break, and... The Naked Gun films are under the microscope as a possible series of films to remake, reboot, whatever you want to call it. I say leave it alone. If you want to see the good ones, watch them. That's it for Remake Madness. Coming up next on On Screen to Be On, it is time for upcoming new movies. As far as upcoming new movies, well, Forrest Whitaker is now the producer of a biopic about Richard Pryor. And you can look for Tommy Lee Jones and Haley Steinfeld as they are going to ride onto a Western film together called Holmesman. And Jones is also going to be the director for this film. And the cast also includes Meryl Streep, John Lithgow, and James Spader. Sounds like a good one. November of 2014 is the tentative date for a film called Fury. It's about a Sherman tank sergeant, played by Brad Pitt. And he sets out to take down the Nazis during World War II. That is it for upcoming new movies. Next on On Screen and Beyond, we take a peek at what's coming your way as far as sequels at Sequel City right here on On Screen and Beyond. Sequel City, well, a sequel to A Haunted House by the Wayans is now in the works. A Haunted House 2 is uh, looking like it could be out by next winter. 
Robert Redford will play the role of the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. in the new Captain America sequel. And a sequel to Finding Nemo will be called Finding Dory. And it's going to be released in 2015. And beware, Hot Tub Time Machine 2 is on its way. That is it for Sequel City. Coming up next on On Screen Beyond, we're going to take a peek at what's coming your way as far as TV on DVD. TV on DVD, well, on July 2nd, The Many Loves of Dobie Gillis will be coming your way in a 20-disc set. It's called The Complete Series, of course, and you can listen to our interview with the star of The Many Loves of Dobie Gillis, Dwayne Hickman, and it's on episode 109 of On Screen and Beyond. Just go to onscreenandbeyond.com, go to our rerun section, and it's right there. You can find it. July 16th, the eighth season of The Virginian will arrive, and you can hear our interview with the star of The Virginian, James Drury, by going to episode 37 of On Screen and Beyond. Like I said, it's at onscreenandbeyond.com in our rerun section. And let's see here. One more thing on July 23rd. The Jack Benny program, The Lost Episodes, will come our way in a four-disc set. That's it for TV on DVD. Next on On Screen and Beyond, we're going to let you know what's coming your way as far as movies on DVD. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Movies on DVD, Identity Theft, will arrive on DVD and Blu-ray on June 4th. Also on June 4th, you can catch Escape from Planet Earth with the voice talents of Brendan Fraser and Jessica Alba. It's going to be coming your way, as I said, on June 4th. And Warm Bodies is going to bring about some more zombies your way. And that's also coming your way on June 4th. So uh, those are some things to look forward to. Next on On Screen and Beyond, we have our interview with Dawn Wells. We have had Dawn on the show before. And uh, actually, we had talked to her, and uh, she said she was going to have a book coming out. So uh, we said we'd have her on again. But I also had the opportunity to have her um, on stage with me at the California Independent Film Festival. So this is a conversation we had there. It was a lot of fun having Don, and uh, I think the audience had a great time, too. And uh, this is it. It's Don Wells. She's coming up next right here on On Screen and Beyond. My name is Brian Zemrak. I am the host of On Screen and Beyond at onscreenandbeyond.com, and I interview celebrities. So if you get a chance, you might want to check that out. But joining us today, right here on this stage, is a screen actress and a stage actress who has played many roles but is most known for her role as Marianne Summers on Gilligan's Island, the classic TV show. She's also a former Miss Nevada and Miss America pageant contestant. And she's as beautiful today as she was back then. Please welcome Dawn Wells. Dawn, you look amazing. How do you do it? It's dark in here, that's why. 
<laughs> no, no. I'm up close, believe me, everybody. And she is beautiful. Aren't you, dear? Thank you very much. I'm older than dirt, but I'm still alive. I'm Mrs. Howell by now is what I keep saying. All right. This is going to be very informal, but we're going to start off with uh, her early career. What point in your life did you decide that you wanted to be an actress? Oh, that's a really good question because I was pre-med. I wanted to be a pediatric surgeon. And I have knees that dislocate. I took ballet as a young girl and my knees dislocate because I can't play any sports. So instead of playing tennis and whatever you had to do in college, I took a theater course. And I went to a woman's college called Stevens College in Columbia, Missouri. Born and raised in Reno. Almost went to Mills. Almost went to Stanford. But I wanted to go further away from home. And my professor said, you're good at this. You ought to major in this. I went, Pfft. I'm going to be an out-of-work actor the rest of my life. So uh, Stevens was two years at the time, and I transferred to the University of Washington in Seattle because it had a great med school and a good theater department. So I graduated with uh, BFA in theater arts, and I gave myself a year, and I said, if I'm not working in a year, then I'll go back to med school. And I was really lucky, but I was well-trained, really well-trained. Stevens had a fabulous theater department, so did Washington, and I was a perfect type. I ran a film school in Idaho for quite a while, and it's where you fit. You know, you're not going to ever. You're not going to cast me as a ginger. You're not going to cast me as a tall Swedish maid. I look like a girl from Kansas, so I got the role. And as far as uh, Miss Nevada and the Miss uh, America pageant, how did you decide to go into pageants? Uh, I didn't. They asked me. I was uh, in college, and they asked the Seroptimus Club asked me if I'd run, and I went. <laughs> What? First place, there are not many women in Nevada. It's not very hard to be. You know, there's about three cities, so how tough is that? California is really hard. <clears throat> but I thought since I was a theater major, I'd see if I could get up in front of people and do a scene or something and see if I was uh, not embarrassed to do it. So I had no idea that I would win. And um, I was probably one of the tiniest, shortest, you know. But it was a good experience. I can remember Mitch Miller. Nobody here old enough to remember Mitch Miller? Oh, yeah, bouncing ball. He was he sing along with Mitch. He was uh, one of the judges, and we were all trying to be such ladies, and he had scrambled eggs in his beard. And, and he was sitting with us at the lunch table with scrambled eggs in his beard and asking me questions. I'll never forget that. It was a good experience. Now, throughout your career, you've acted on stage uh, many times and on TV and in movies. Uh, what was your first role? Was it a TV role or a movie role? Oh, television. But my very first role out of college was I got my equity card in a play called Black Eyed Susan, and with Mercedes McCambridge and Leon Ames, and it was a big deal. They were really, Mercedes McCambridge was a wonderful actress. So my really first love is theater, is my first love. Uh, but I had to decide between New York and Los Angeles, got to go where the work is. I'm sorry, honey. Is it a teeny tiny one? Yeah. Lucky lady. <clears throat> anyway, I had to decide, and most of everything in New York was musical comedy, and I don't sing. So I thought, all right, the odds of working are going to be better in L.A. than they are in New York. And I think the very first thing I did probably was maybe a 77 Sunset Strip. And Warner Brothers put me under option for contract. And then you could never see what you did. There was no VHS or anything like that. So you'd do something, and then six weeks later it would come on the air. And you'd see yourself, and you'd think, oh, my gosh, what did I do? Because I blinked. I didn't know about the lights, and I blinked constantly. The first two shows I did, I was doing this the whole time. And, and because you get that piece of film on you, once they've seen you, your agent can say, well, you know, look at her on Bonanza or Third Side Six or whatever, and you get a chance to do another job. Now all the kids have a DVD, DVD of all the little things that they did best, and they don't even go on the audition half the time. They just send it out. Now, I, I've got to read this from here because I, there's just so many things. Everybody remembers you, of course, from Gilligan's Island, but what a lot of people don't realize, you were in a whole lot of TV shows doing guest appearances before that, like Maverick. I mean, yeah. 
Maverick, yeah. Uh, Cheyenne, Wagon Train, 77 Sunset Strip, Hawaiian Eye, The Invaders, uh, The Love Boat, Vegas, ALF, Baywatch, Roseanne. And that's just the beginning. It goes on and on, doesn't it? <laughs> of all the, those other appearances, rather than Gilligan's Island, was there one that was a favorite to you that you enjoyed doing? There was one that I always wanted to play, a Native American and Indian. You can't do it anymore unless you are Native American. But I got to play an Indian on Bonanza. And um, it was quite an interesting experience because Victor Jury was, I think I was, there was a little boy that I was taking care of, sort of, and his father didn't like him or whatever, and Victor Jury played the heavy. And I was brand new, you know. I didn't know what was really going on. And he had, he, it was an attempted rape. He was trying to knock me into the creek and and actually try to shoot me. And we were rehearsing it, and... The fight and all of that, it was brand new to me. Stage combat is nothing I ever took. And he's down on top of me, and we're wrestling, and we're wrestling, and, he's, and the director said, now the gun is supposed to go. And he pulled the trigger, and it was a blank, but it went right here, right by my eye, right here. I mean, if he was that close to my face, he could have put my eye out or something, which terrified me. But I was very proud to have been able to do that. I, it was a good role, and John Rich directed, and John Rich directed the uh, pilot of Gilligan's Island and several of our episodes. And he did a movie I did with Barb Reed and called The New Interns. He directed that, too. So we just loved him. He was a great director. With those different shows that you were on, of course, back then a lot of westerns were the big thing. Did you ever have to, have to ride a horse? And, and could you ride a horse if you did? Uh, or did you just tell him, sure, I can do that? Actors do say that, which yes. is really stupid. And then you're on a bucking bronco. Uh, yeah, I come from Nevada, and my dad was a rider, and I ride, but not real well. And at Stevens College, it was English saddle, and I didn't have a horn to hang on to. But I did. I said, well, it's Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo with, with Dale Robertson, I think. And they said, can you drive a buckboard? Oh, sure, I can drive a buckboard. Well, you're in a buckboard in the middle of the field, and the horses are, they just took off on a run. They had to come and get me, had to find the wagon, bring me back. I couldn't pull them in, so I didn't do that anymore. <laughs> now, of course, like I said, Gilligan's Island, that's where everybody remembers you, loves you for that show. How did you land the role of Marianne? Can I ask a question? Why does everybody love Marianne? I'm writing a book. Why do we love Marianne besides the short shorts, guys? There has to be something else there. You know, what did you ask me? What question did you ask me? How did you land the role of Marianne? Oh, I auditioned. You know, the, they, the pilot was done with uh, three other characters. Marianne, Ginger, and the professor were new. CBS bought it and said, but you've got to replace these three school teachers, I think it was. So we auditioned, and we auditioned in both New York and Los Angeles. I auditioned with about, well, I'll, I'll go back a little bit. I went on an interview with Sherwood Schwartz, and we read the script, and we chatted a little bit, and then came back. And I was married at the time to an agent, but my agent was not my husband, and it was a small agency. And um, they called my agent and said that they're going to test. They wanted to test and what I consider testing. So they brought me back, and I met Sherwood Schwartz for a little while, and we sat there, and we talked, and we quipped, and we had a really good conversation. And then they came back, and my agent called and said, they're not going to test you the first go-around. They're going to test you the second time because you're too smart to play Marianne. I went, What? What? what do you mean I'm too smart? You can act dumb if she's supposed to be dumb. But I think what it was, Sherwood and I got quipping. He's got a sense of humor, and we were kind of with probably not the Marianne he had in mind, you know. But they tested me. And just about a week or two ago, I got to thinking about that, and I thought, you know, they tested with 350 girls in Los Angeles, 350 people in New York. Ginger was cast first. That's why you see her in the credits and not Professor and I next. But all week long, you're testing with a different professor, a different Ginger to see the the chemistry between everybody, and on Thursday, Raquel Welch came in. I said, that's the end of me. <laughs> was she going for the same role as you? Going for Marianne, yeah. I think it was I before that for a bit. Well, she'd have been a great ginger, actually, but yeah. yeah. But she, I don't think she did that BC thing in that fur bikini yet. I'm not sure. 
but um, Ginger was cast first. And I really, just thinking about it the other day, I think one of the reasons I think we're talking about Marianne, and I think Marianne was the rudder. She was the moral compass. She was the optimist. She was um, common sense. And I think maybe Sherwood might have had more of the Donna Douglas or the real ingenue in mind. And I think he tested me when they said, you're going to either test her now or you're not test her at all. So they tested me. But I think it was CBS that really wanted me when I stop and think about it. Because I think Sherwood's idea of Marianne might have been sweeter or simpler. She was sweet. She wasn't very simple, but I'm not sure. It's interesting when you go back. I should have told, talked to him about it. He's gone now. But he created a show. We have never been off the air since 1964. We are on 30 languages. I have been in Beijing. Marianne, Marianne. I've, I've, yeah, I've climbed the mountains in Rwanda with the mountain gorillas. And my favorite story is my adventuresome friends, because I can't do any sports, so we climb gorilla mountains. But we cruised the Solomon Islands. We went with a photographer and five women, where no white women have ever been before. And we floated up to this island called Sulafu, where the chief's family had been chief for nine generations. They've just gotten rid of the witch doctor. The little Catholic church came in, and they had war dances that they were showing us. And as we canoed up, the chief's wife went, I know you. And I went, what? No running water, no electricity in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. I said, what? And she said, I went to the capital of the Solomon Islands, which is um, Haniara, World War II, Water Canal. And she said, I was in nursing school in 1979, and I used to come home and watch you. So I sent Sherwood a telegram and said, guess what? In the middle of the Pacific Ocean, they know who we are. And I have another great story. This is, you won't even believe this. We were in the air about six weeks. And CBS said James Arbery was vice president of CBS, and he had a bet we weren't going to last 10 minutes. But it was the highest show rating when they did a sample to see what their, if it would go on the air. It was the highest, so they had to put us on the air. And we were on the air about six weeks. We went right to the top 10 right away. And Sherwood came in and stopped the entire production and said, ladies and gentlemen, the Coast Guard is here, and they'd like to come and talk to you. So the big mucky mucks of the Coast Guard came in, and they said, we have something to say. We have received telegrams saying there are seven people stranded in the Pacific Ocean. What's the matter with you guys? Why can't you find them? Talk about believing what you're seeing. It's a true story. <laughs> Looking back at the show now, what was your fondest memory of Gillian's Island? I think the camaraderie between us. You know, we made, so you're working 14, 15 hours a day, and we mostly really loved each other. And I was green. I was new, and boy, I was with some talent. Bob Denver was incredible. He became the character. He never rehearsed it. He just became it. He just, he's the little boy inside of him. I can't tell you how great he was. Alan was probably the nicest, dearest, most jovial, kindest, sweetest man. Never saw him lose his temper. Had a, had a um, experience where he was climbing out on the branch of a tree to save a sparrow or something. And the tree broke. I mean, supposed to. Mattress underneath him and everything. Well, he missed the mattress. But he didn't have to fall very far. And he worked all the rest of the day. And the next day he came in in a cast. He'd broken his wrist. Never said a word. Just kept right on working. I think um, I think that the characters, you know, I really think that we're all pretty much who we were. You know, when you think about it. I mean, I think Ginger was a movie star. The Howells were certainly wealthy and kind of, you know, upper New York kind of thing. Both of them. The Skipper, Alan was very much that. Looked so much like his father. It scared you. I mean... Uh, Little John was his dad and all the, what is that, what are the Robin Hood movies, and they looked exactly the same. I don't know. And Bobby is very, Bobby was very shy, kind of introverted, uh, didn't like the celebrity at all, and had kids 
everywhere. You'd see him at the mall with 10 or 12 kids going through the mall, and he'd come in. I'd say, Bobby, you look so tired. Well, well, we had a spider farm last night, and we had to name the spiders, and we didn't go to sleep till 3 o'clock. So there was a child's soul inside of him. And I think, we, I think maybe that's why it worked. I don't think you can do television week after week after week after week unless you're playing a witch or some real weird character without the real you coming through. I mean, you see us, and you're, we're in your living room. And even though it's the character, you might be a bad guy, but you see something there. And I think all of us really were kind of the characters we played. I'm, I'm talking about that in the book because the morality right now in this world is shot. <laughs> and what would Marianne do today? You know, what, 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 if you dropped her now, you dropped us on that island in 1967, there wasn't even birth control. So imagine if you dropped her home, she'd, oh, my God, what's going on? So it's interesting to see you mothers and fathers that are raising children today with somebody right on the island, right on time. Thank you so much. Um, I think I think um, I think it's something we why we all like it for so long. It really had a, a message. Get along. We were the first outcast, first family out of the living room, first people who had nothing in common living together. That's what we're all doing now. I mean, I think if you did the series again, you'd be multiracial, perhaps. Uh, you might have a homosexual, perhaps. You might have, you know, maybe ten characters instead of seven. But that's what the world's about. And we have mothers and fathers that are their second and third marriages with families blending together. And so that moral compass of what Marianne stood for, I think, is still real important. And that's one of the things I've kind of tried to keep um, her image. I think it's real important because we need that. We need that, that compass. Common sense, as Steve Harvey says, just common sense. Do you think if they did make a remake, I mean, there's been talk about making remakes of it and everything. Do you think that it would be as uh, close to everybody's heart as the original was? Well, now we've had Survivor. You know, I don't know. We, you've had that Survivor, and they're all after each other. I don't know. I, I think maybe we're a little too sophisticated. We want to see more high-tech stuff. I don't know, because it's on. It's in 30 languages all over the world still. It, it, it appeals to that age bracket. I don't know if any grown-ups really watched it. I don't know that I would have watched it other than two or three times. I didn't watch The Monkees particularly or Partridge Family or some of those other things. I watched Jeannie because I liked her a lot, and I watched that, but I don't know. I think we're a little more sophisticated. But that, that's, I'm contra contradicting myself because why are we still watching it? Why is it still out there? So it's not just the new group of kids, I don't think. Now, looking back at the show, we – your fondest memory gave us. How about the funniest memory that you could remember from the show? Funniest memory. You were cast that uh, played practical jokes on each other or anything like that, or did you pretty much stick to what you were there for, or was well, it? Uh... Um, not much practical joking. There was a lot of stunts. I mean, Gilligan did a lot of that stuff himself. Uh, I think the funniest person on the set was the professor. He had the greatest sense of humor. He pulled a couple things on me. I don't know. There was one race, go kiss a prince or something, and he just made it up. Don't believe everything you hear, sweetie, and bent me back and kissed me again or something. But I don't think we did anything really. No, I don't think so. Was the show tape in Hawaii, or were you bouncing back and forth, or was the set naturally all in uh, L.A.? You're dating yourself. There's no such thing as tape back then. <laughs> It was film. It was film. It was like doing a movie. We had three cameras and all of that. We didn't. They made the original pilot film on the island of Kauai, and they had to shut down. It was the week Kennedy was assassinated. So you, I can always kind of remember that. And then they recast everybody. So uh, it was a question. I've lost track of what I was doing. What was the question? Do you remember the question? Do you remember the question? 
Oh, where was the shot? Duh. She gets senile by the hour. Um, they shot the pilot in Kauai, and then they did it all in Radford studio at CBS. And we tried filming at Malibu for three or four weeks. And it was foggy till 11, and the fog came in at 3. So CBS built a huge lagoon and that the boats could come in and out of. And we filmed right on the soundstage. And we were picked up for the next season with scripts to shoot in Hawaii. And we were canceled. And the reason we were canceled was we were still in the top ten. We moved three years in a row, I think from Tuesday to Thursday to Saturday, and we were going to move to Monday. CBS had a half hour after us that they were trying to sell a Dennis Weaver pilot, and they couldn't get a sponsor. So there was a half hour after 8 o'clock, 8.30 was open. And they canceled Gunsmoke to put us in on Monday. Well, William Paley was the president of CBS, and William Paley's wife was on vacation, and William Paley's wife's favorite show was Gunsmoke. So she came back and she said, oh, uh-uh. <laughs> you can't take it off. So they canceled us and put Gunsmoke back on. The, the, I have the short shorts, and I don't know why, because we were not allowed to take anything home. And somebody, this is Smithsonian's talk. It's the first short shorts on television before Daisy Dukes. Between my navel, having to have a little thing to cover my navel, and, and Dina's cleavage, Sherwood said he spent more time on the set. No, we've seen her cleavage three times. We've got to cut that scene. We've got Marianne, pull your pants up. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting, the censors and stuff. Now you what everybody's half naked on television. So I was going to ask you that. Did you keep any of the souvenirs, that you, the stuff that you had on there? Was there anything else besides that that you got to keep? Any coconuts or anything like that? I have a couple of coconut shells, and I have, I have two or three uh, of the gingham dresses. But the short shorts are really the key. And when I, I produced a movie of the week called Surviving Gilligan's Island, and you're not allowed to take anything off a set, you know. So we were finishing the set. We were shooting it. Fairmont, I think. And uh, I said, God, this sand is really great. And one of the prop men said, you want some of the sand? I said, oh, I can't take any sand. He said, no, I know you can't take it. I'm just teasing. I said, okay. I got home, a duffel bag full of sand was in my <laughs> trunk of my car. So I have, I, in my little website, I sell the little bottles with a little SOS in it saying, Surviving Gilligan's Island, and I autograph it. When the sand runs out, it runs out. But, yeah. <laughs> now, you talked about the cast a little bit, but Short Schwartz. What was it like working with him? I mean, he had so many hits back then. Yeah, and he was a funny man. Very serious about what he did, but very kind and very funny and very much a family man. He was very good to work for. When you started auditioning for the show, did you know that Jim Backus was going to be on there and uh, Natalie Schaefer and uh, Bob Denver? Did you know that they were going to be? And were you fans of any of them? Mm, well, I was fans of Mr. Magoo. Uh, but you see, we were there were three replacements, so we had seen the pilot. Maybe I don't remember really ever seeing it because it was a different song, it was a different everything. But I think I knew who they were. I think. And Jim Backus is very funny. He was very very funny, and he said, "If you watch the old Mr. Magoo's Don, every time Mr. Magoo is wandering off the stage, I'm muttering every dirty word you've ever heard." Now he says that because we can't go back. And see if it's really true. I'm dying to get an old Mr. Magoo to see if he's really true. Now the theme song. And the rest. When was that changed? Why was that changed? And how did that come about? Well, again, it's the casting. It's that replacements. And Ginger got cast first. And Ginger's agent said that she was in fifth position billing, you know, the professor, I mean, the, the Howells, da, 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 and the movie star, and nobody else after her. So we had to be on the rest at the end of the show. Russell and I still send each other cards saying love the rest. But, uh, but after the first year, now John Rich, our director, Bob Denver, and Sherwood, all three of them have told me that they had it changed. I don't know who had it changed. I didn't complain. I was brand new. I thought that was kind of cool. I was even doing it. But then they came. he said it's stupid with seven people on the island that you can't talk about all seven people. Now, we're going to take a look at some clips. 
of the show. Young. <laughs> so we'll take a look at some clips, and then we'll comment on them after. But uh, the first one, uh, one funny thing about the show was even though you were on a deserted island, you had more people showing up on the island. <laughs> totally realistic, wasn't it? I mean, they float on and float off. They surf on and surf off. It's just amazing. We couldn't get off, but we did. So there was a lot of different guests that came on. So let's take a look at this clip, and then we'll talk about it after. So how many of you remember that episode? It was funny when we were going through the clips. Derek was actually telling me before I saw the clips, he'd say, well, this is the, what this clip was. I, I remember that one. Then he'd tell me the next one. I remember that one. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember all these clips. Now, Kurt Russell, of course, was in that one. Uh, what was it like with Kurt Russell? I mean, he was just beginning then. That must have been one of his first roles. Yeah, it was. And it was really interesting to see Bing Russell was his father. And, you know, kid actors, I have a hard time with that because the parents push so hard. But uh, he was so well-disciplined, and he'd go out and play baseball in between the shots, and his father was there, and the brother was helping him. It was a whole family unit. Uh, I didn't realize what a star he was going to be, but it was, I don't know, about five or six years ago somewhere, somebody interviewed him and said, well, what was it like, 12 years old, to be on the island with Ginger? He went, I like Mary Ann, <laughs> as would any 12-year-old. <laughs> All right. In the next clip, the premise was that Mrs. Howe was trying to set you up with Gilligan. So if we could roll clip number two. You don't remember that one? Really? That, it, the two of you, I mean, the casting was perfect because you were just so, uh, the girl next door, so sweet, like they, they said several times. <laughs> and, and Gilligan was, Bob Denver was just so believable as the nervous guy in that situation. Uh, but you don't remember that? I don't remember that at all, no. And the thing is, people ask me, did you have a crush on Gilligan? I went, what, what, what? The professor was the hunk. <laughs> no, I don't remember that. I mean, we had a little, I don't know, a little 
I guess the, one of the specials where I was going to get married and Bob picked me up off the ground and took me away or something. But no, there was no romance. You couldn't have any romance anyway with only seven people and no chaperone. Think how far we've come. <laughs> now, was that purposely done because the censors wouldn't allow anything like that? Or? I think so. I think so. You couldn't show my belly button. The Howells had separate beds. Ginger's cleavage. I think it was, you know, it was the dark ages. It was very puritanical. And it was a show for kids. You didn't need to show all that stuff. It wasn't important. Right. Yeah. All right. The next clip. Now, here we are talking about things a, a little racy maybe. Uh, but the show is never considered racy. But this one clip was something that was a little bit different for the show. I don't think this happened too many times. Uh, and you, you'll see which one it is. But uh, go ahead and roll clip number three. January in the in the lagoon, probably freezing to death in there. <laughs> that was kind of funny, wasn't it? What'd you say? Yeah. <laughs> when Ginger and I had to do a hot mud bath, did you ever see that hot mud bath thing where we were doing a mud bath? Talk about showbiz. I don't know. It was about as big as this big circle here that we were in, but the but the dirt had to be sterile and they had to have it warm. <laughs> so we were in this mud, but they had to have clean mud. And having it warm. It's kind of like being in a spa. How do you get clean mud? Exactly. <laughs> Sterilized. Don't ask me. <laughs> so, like I say, that episode was probably the raciest thing that was on the show that I can remember. Uh, there was one clip that I found the other day where I was practicing seducing somebody, and I was in a leopard uh, two-piece whatever, and I was kind of doing ginger's lips and all that. That was kind of sexy, but I didn't remember what the plot was, but I remember that little clip. <laughs> You had a lot of clothes, too. For <laughs> Number one question, 
Went on a three-hour tour. Where'd you get all the clothes? Well, you see, Marianne, Mrs. Howell would carry everything with her, and Marianne would redo everybody's little outfits to make them fit. That's my excuse. You sewed new things. With no needles and thread. It was just amazing what we did. <laughs> Cooking a cream pie with no cows. <laughs> and Russell Johnson as the professor, I think he was the, the image that uh, they used for the character MacGyver because MacGyver could make anything and, of course, the professor could make anything. Except a boat. Right. He had a great – he was uh, given some award at uh, MIT. And he got up – you know, of course, MIT, they're all smart. And he got up there and he said, well, I have a degree from Stanford. I have a degree from Indianapolis. I have a degree from this. I have a degree from MIT, and that's the reason I couldn't build a boat. You guys didn't have the faintest idea how to do anything in black and white. Now, on the show – Besides people showing up all the time, there was always something that uh, seemed to wash up in the lagoon. Uh, crates with different things in them. Uh, and in this clip, some movie equipment had washed up on shore. So if we could roll clip number four, please. I don't remember that very much. Really, don't not remember, not very much. No. Yeah. Now, you you mentioned that how stupid that was. <laughs> no, I know what you mean. Um, but did you get the scripts like well in advance, or did you have to just get it and all of a sudden you think, well, why do I have to do this? No, we got the scripts just about. We tried rehearsing the first two or three episodes. We'd go sit around the table and read it, but there was so many special effects and, and Gilligan had so many stunts that you couldn't really rehearse it. So we stopped that. Um, we got them probably on Friday for the Monday shoot. It took a week to make each episode, so we did it. And the pages would come, you know, if you're, they start out with a white script, and then there's pink pages, and then there's blue pages, and then there's yellow pages every time they rewrite something. And a lot of it was um, they would shoot a lot of the stuff with Bob by himself, falling out of trees and into holes and that kind of stuff. 
and then the group stuff. I mean, it, it, it was – movies are different. They're different than tape. Tape you run from beginning to end. You know, it's like a play. Audiences reacting. There was no audience reacting. We just thought we were funny. We didn't know until the audience put the laugh track in, and then you all knew it was funny. <laughs> Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Now, Jim Backus on there. You just couldn't take Mr. Magoo out of him. Uh, did they did they mind or did they really want him to try to be somebody different or did they just say that's him and that's the way he acts? Well, I think it, it's it's reminiscent of Mr. Magoo, but he was doing that theater, you know, that rich kind of thing. That was more that than it was Mr. Howell. I mean, uh, 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 Mr. Magoo. Um, yeah, I, he had some wonderful stories, though. He and Sherwood had worked together years ago in a series called I Married Joan. And he said we were both alcoholics. He said we were drunk all the time. She was drunk. I was drunk. We were drunk all the time. And he said one of my favorite stories is that Joan Davis was really tough to work with, really hard, really demanding about everything. And if if there was an animal on the show, she had to interview 25 animals to get the right one. And he said I'll never forget when she was – we had to have a monkey. And she was supposed to get this monkey and put the monkey in the the sink and shampoo it and dry it off and dress it. And she interviewed – I don't know. 50 monkeys, had to get the right monkey. It was a big to-do, da-da-da-da-da. So it came time. They got the monkey, and it came time to um, film it. And she's soaping it and order that, and the monkey turned around and bit her. Well, I mean, she went into a panic. They got the ambulance. They took her to the hospital. She was afraid she was going to whatever. The next day, the monkey died. <laughs> and Jim said, it might have been the alcohol and the bite. <laughs> All right, the next clip, of course, there was... Uh, more guests on, on the island. Uh, a musical group washed up on shore, the Mosquitoes. <laughs> and uh, that led to the women becoming the honeybees. So uh, <laughs> let's have that clip. <laughs> clip number five. Thank you. 
they dubbed my voice. <laughs> the first episode of Gilligan's Island, we were singing for He's a Jolly Good Fellow, and Sherwood said, Don, just mouth the words. You're getting everybody off key. So they told me that Jackie DeShannon dubbed me. I don't know who did it. I don't know really. But the Mosquitoes, that was Les Brown. Remember Les Brown in the orchestra? No, nobody's old enough to remember that. Yeah, yeah, fan of renown. I was on an airplane not very long ago, and this good-looking young gray-haired guy walked by. I said, remember me? I was one of the Mosquitoes. So he's, it's one of the sons, Les Brown's son. But that was fun to do. And Natalie, of course, looked up with the fright wig and all of that. It was great. So that was not you singing then? Not me singing. It was Ginger singing. She's got a pretty voice, but nope, not me. Well, I was going to ask you because you had mentioned earlier that you, you weren't a singer, and then all of a sudden you were singing on this episode or whoever was. But Good job, didn't I? <laughs> now, was there ever any intention uh, by the studio to try to release that as a single or anything? Because, you know, back then, I mean, every they were trying, you know, every show, the Brady Bunch and everything, they were always trying to get uh, the actors who were on the show to have a singing career like Barry Williams and things like that. They were a little after us, too, I think. Yeah. I don't know. Nobody ever came to me and said, won't you sing for me? Ginger, I'm sure, sings all the time or had. She did Little Abner on Broadway and stuff. I don't think Mrs. Howell ever sang again. <laughs> now, why would they they have her do it but not you? Not you? Well, because she was a comic. I mean, she was, she was making fun of it. Mary Ann would be very serious about what she was trying to do. You couldn't have her off pitch. That would destroy the whole thing, so... All right, the next one is a dream sequence. And uh, you, you did that quite often. We like to be. We got to be something else, you know, other characters or something. It was fun. Well, let's roll clip number six. Now that one, it was the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde episode with a nod to My Fair Ladies, and it looked like the ending was a nod to Mary Poppins. <laughs> so how did you enjoy that one? That was my favorite episode because I love doing the Cockney accent and getting a chance to play something a little different. And Yeah, we like that. I like that one a lot. All right. The seventh and final clip is another guest that was on the show. It was Rory Calhoun as he was coming on the show. He was, some of you might remember the episode, as he was um, a hunter, and he wanted to hunt a human being. And, of course, he tries to figure out which one he's going to, to go after. So uh, if we could have clip number seven.
Where was Rory Calhoun? Was he there? That wasn't, that wasn't the clip with, oh, I'm sorry. That that was, wasn't yeah. Ginger and I, I thought, walked around with our mouths hanging open. He was the best-looking man you ever laid your eyes on. We just went, <laughs> when he walked around. I think he had five daughters. I think his wife came in with these five darling little girls, but he was really handsome. I don't think that was it. I don't know what that was. Was it? Did you see him? I can't see backwards, I guess. Was he there in the seat? I couldn't see from work backwards. It's hard looking up like that. Yeah, okay. All right. Of all the guest stars that you had on the show, is there anybody that you were most uh, excited about having on the show or most enjoyed having as a guest? Well, Hans Conried was fabulous. Wrong way felt him. He was just wonderful. He didn't live very long after that. That was terrific. And one of the things that um, Don Rickles, my father gave Don Rickles his very first job at a, at a lounge act in Las Vegas years ago, so Don kind of had a little affinity for me. Um, Zsa Zsa Gabor, that was a little tough. Sherwood Schwartz said that if, if it had been, if Don Rickles had had a five-day shoot, he wouldn't have cast him because Don has to keep you laughing every second. And that's pretty hard to be around somebody that's always cracking a joke. But he was wonderful. I think um, the thing that excited us most, Betty Davis wanted to do our show. She was doing a gun smoke next door. And she came over. She said, I really want to do this comedy. And they worked at it and worked at it. And she was totally too busy and never could come. I, I would have loved to have been able to work with her. I think I think we learned everything with a lot about everybody when, when a guest star came on. Some were better than others. But it made it a little more interesting, a little more variety. Were the guests, uh, like I know people always say with Batman, they were always wanting to come on to the show and trying to get on the show. Is that the way it was with Gilligan too, that the, the, the guests were approaching the producers or anything? I have no idea. It was very quiet. I mean, I don't know, maybe Bob would have known, but we were interacting with the major office very much. You know, it's a lot of long hours, and we, it was a movie. So you start at 6 in the morning. I was always the earliest one because I was the low man on the totem pole. That means you had to come in the earliest, always. I was always there at 6 o'clock in the morning. But um, it's, it was a hard work, and you do each little episode, each little thing, and Bob does his little stunts and all of that. You don't know how it puts together. That's the difference, I think. Now, the reunion movies, you had three of those that uh, were made after. What was it like for you and the rest of the cast to get back together after all that time? Well, it's interesting because we were canceled, like I said, without any warning. And we didn't have a chance to say goodbye to each other or anything. So 12 years later, we came in to do the special, and it was as if we'd stopped on a Friday and started on a Monday. We all just kind of got back into the groove. We didn't have ginger. We had a different ginger, and we didn't shoot on the same lot. We shot a little bit on Paramount, and we shot at the, at the beach some. Um, 90 minutes is too long for Gilligan's Island, you know? It's... 30 minutes in and out is kind of funny. I, I think the rescue the first time was interesting because you see us coming at the Pacific Coast uh, uh, with that raft and the hut on top of it. But then the Harlem Globetrotters, I mean, come on. <laughs> I think it's, it's a little much. 90 minutes is a little too long. <laughs> yeah, I think the first one was everybody was excited to see, you know, see you get rescued. And Yeah, yeah, but it didn't work, I don't think. Well, I don't know. It worked for somebody. Sure, we made all the money. $90 million on the reruns alone, Mr. Schwartz made. Not the production, and that doesn't include Brady Bunch. And we got nothing. Actually, we made $55,000 total through the whole thing. We always said, well, Sherwood, couldn't you just get $1 million between the seven of us? No. <laughs> yeah. We could have our own island right now, you know? I mean, if you, if, you had the, if you had the residual structure that they have. And you know how residual started? It was James Arness's agent. And they wanted to run Gunsmoke again. He said, if you're going to run it, you're going to pay him. And that started the whole 
uh, residual situation. And I think it probably the very last year it was just coming into being. That's why we got fifty thousand dollars or something. It's a shame. I mean, that that's a whole different thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, now your career, of course, just wasn't with uh, TV and movies. Uh, stage, you did a lot of work on stage. Do you enjoy? performing on stage and having that immediate feedback with the audience? Well, I like the roles. I love the stage. It's my favorite. I love the rehearsal period. I love the growth and the, the, the uh, developing of the character and interacting with the rest of the cast and developing and watching it grow. Theater is my major thing. I love it. And I went right back to the stage after Gilligan's Island because I was afraid I was going to be this little sitcom little girl, farm girl forever. And I went back. And the first play I did was Al and the Pussycat where I played a cooker. And then I went and did – I've done the national tour of their playing our song in Chapter 2 – and I just finished one of my bucket list. I just did Love Lost and What I Wore Off Broadway. And I am so excited. I'm doing Lion in Winter. I'm doing the Catherine Hepburn role. And I just can't stand it. It excites me so much. Very hard to cast a Marianne character. They all go, what? You know, you can do something other than Marianne, but that's what you're known for. So stage really is my favorite, I think. Well, was it difficult? You, you mentioned your first role. You played a hooker after Gilligan's Island on stage. I mean, I can just picture the reviews. You know, Mary Ann plays hooker. You know, how did? What were the reviews? Did they do that? Oh yeah, they liked it. Well, you know, they liked it. I think. Well, I mean, they like to see that. Depends. The critics wants to see what you can do, so that you can do something other than Mary Ann. So yeah, and the comedy is fabulous. I mean, it's one of the funniest plays ever written. So that's also a challenge. You know. Yeah, I, I guess. I mean, I had they came, we sold out, so it must mean something. Any roles uh, on stage that ha- were your favorite ones doing? Well, um, Alan the Pussycat is one. Uh, I like Chapter Two a lot. I like playing our song because I don't sing, and that was really almost killed me. I came in and replaced Lorna Luft, who happens to be Judy Garland's daughter, and I don't sing. You'll love my audition. <laughs> I, they, they, I did Chapter Two, and I did such a good job. They said it did such good business, that's Manny Eisenberg, Neil Simon, his agent. And he said, we, a producer, and he said, we'd like to have you do, uh, they're playing our song. I said, I don't sing. He said, well, everybody sings. Uh-huh. So he said, why don't you just go take some singing lessons, and Lorna's going to go out. No, somebody went out first. I can't think of who it was. The first six months of the tour or something. So I went and got a singing coach in Nashville who does Kathy Matea and all. She's, she coaches all the Things that I said, I don't think I can sing. She said, okay, let's go each note at a time. Well, each note at a time I can carry. when I'm, I can hear it and do it, but play five notes in a row, and I only get the first three. So I said, let's just study the songs in the play. Don't make me sing Happy Birthday or anything else, which is what you're not supposed to do, of course, in an audition. But I worked for about three months. Poor Marsha was with me going to these lessons and ah, all that stuff. So I went to audition one day. And I'm in New York, and I just felt so grown up sitting there with everybody singing in the other room, you know, so on me. And Lorna Luff came in with her manager and her arranger, and I listened to this voice of God coming from the other room. I'm thinking, what am I doing, Dawn? So I got out there, and I sang one song from the show, which you're not supposed to do. And halfway through the audition, Manny Eisenberg said, this is a musical, isn't it? <laughs> so they didn't cast me, but they cast me six months later, and I went on tour with it. Almost killed me, but I did. I did. I accomplished that at age 40. I did that yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> now, books. You've written a, uh, a few books, and uh, one of them was Mary Ann's Gilligan Island's cookbook. Does that include the recipe for uh, Mary Ann's famous coconut cream pie? Thirteen recipes of the coconut cream pie. It's a great book. I only have about 20 of them left. My mother, at 93, 91, wrote all the recipes by hand. 
when you do a cookbook, they have to, the people who publish it have to try them and make sure it works, you know. And she sat and wrote recipes from both of my grandmothers and from her, and the cast gave me some of theirs, and I've traveled to the Solomon Islands and to Africa and all of that, so I had some recipes from some of that stuff. So I'm very, 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 very proud of it. I've got, I'm in the midst of writing a book now. Why do we love Marianne? I think uh, I'd like to have it say, what would Marianne do? But they got like, why do we love Marianne? And why do we? I mean, why is it that 80% of the people I meet say, I love Marianne or I married a Marianne because of the values, because of who she was, because of all the character that she had, you saw. She wasn't simple. She wasn't the typical little ingenue. She really, she was the rudder, as I said before. She was the moral compass, and she was optimistic, and I think right now we need some of that. I think we need to be, let's look at the bright side. Let's see what we can do. Let's stop bickering. Let's see where we can go, and I think, I think it's kind of time. So buy it when it comes out. Well, I was going to ask you that because the last time you were on my show, we um, talked about that, that you were coming out with a book. So, so is there a release date yet? Do you know of any? Well, I, I'm slow. They want me to turn it in, in for a Christmas release, and I couldn't get it done. They say January 2nd it has to be in, and I don't know whether they're going to try to release it in the – they release books about three times a year, June, fall, Christmas. Um, I think it should be next fall would be better, I think. I don't know. I have no no say on it. But um, I haven't really got all the – whatever you call it, the facts to them. So what do you call that? When they're just writing it, and it's called the something. Draft, that's a good one. Draft, yeah. I don't – good. How do you spell it? <laughs> No, I haven't gotten that far. I just moved, and I'm I'm nuts. I'm in two houses at the same time. I don't know where anything is. So it's uh, been a difficult last six weeks. <laughs> All right, we're going to get to some questions in just a moment. But before we do that, does do we have anybody here who remembers the words to the theme song of Gilligan's Island? Do we have anybody? Okay, before we go into that, I, she... She just said she has a story about that, so we're going to listen to that first. Well, I was, at a, I was doing an autograph show in Nashville, and this young man came up to me, and he played the piano at one of these wonderful Italian restaurants, and he said, I know music up one side and down the other. He said, I have to tell you my story. He said, I was in Name the Lyrics. And he said, I had $150,000. And the next song was the Gilligan's Island theme song. He said, I've got this knocked. I've been singing it since I was 12. He lost $200,000 because the, the line is the ship set, he said, the ship set down. The ship set ground, and one word cost him $200,000. But, you know, everybody karaoke's, you never saw the words to the song. Now everybody, you, you can get on the whatever, and you see the lyrics. And karaoke, you see it, but you never had seen it printed, so you just listened. Yeah, and Sherwood Schwartz tells a story about getting the song because when he tried to sell the show, they said, this is the stupidest show we ever heard. James Aubrey said, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. No way. So he said, all right, how in the world are they going to know they're marooned every year, every week? And Sherwood said, well, we'll write a song. He said, what? First song ever. We told the plot ahead of time. He said, you come back tomorrow with a song. So he calls his agent, and his agent said, you better write it. So he said, I'm pounding on the piano, and I'm trying to come up with a song. And it was a little different. It was kind of a calypso one night. So he said, I walked in in the suits. That's what they call the executives. The suits are all sitting around a table with their hands in their laps and didn't like the idea of the show to begin with. And said, okay, Sherwood, sing it for us. Sherwood said he's pounding on the piano and he's singing this and, and the, the ship, you know, that with a lightning and he's trying to do all that sort of stuff. He said he finished in this big flourish. And I just sat there, said thank you. And he got up and walked out. He said, I guess that's the end of that. And it is the most well-known song of the show. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? But it told the story every week. So somebody must remember it. Is there anybody that remembers the words? How many of you remember the words? The second verse. Okay, well, I'll tell you what. 
tell you what. What I want to do is I want to get a couple people down here. And you don't have to sing it. You can say the words. Stand here and serenade or rap or however you want to do it. Uh, Dawn. So, but I'd like to have a couple of people, and what I'll do is after you do it, I'll take a picture of the, the three, four, five of you, whatever, with her, and you only have to do a little bit of, uh, you know, someone will start it, and then they'll go to the, the next person, will do the next lines, and like I say, you don't have to sing it, but uh, you can if you want. You can if you want. That would even be better. So is anybody willing to do that? It would raise your hand if you'd like to. All right, well, come on down. I know this gentleman. His name is Buddy. <laughs> he was here earlier. Who else do? We, who else would like to come down? Somebody, right there. Come on down. Yeah, we can't see, so I apologize. So, yeah, go ahead. I can see you. Come on. Is there somebody right there that would like to to come? Sure. Come on down. All right. And uh, like I say, what I will do is after. If you don't get it wrong, if you get it wrong, don't worry. You're not gonna, you're gonna lose two hundred fifty thousand dollars, whatever. But uh, I'll take a picture and I'll email it to you. Okay. Anybody else? We, we got, sure. Come on down. <laughs> like, like I say, it's no big deal if you if, if you get them wrong. But hey, you're gonna be singing to Don Wells here, Marianne. So what more could you ask for? <laughs> or, or talking? Like I say, you don't have to sing. <laughs> All right, now, what we're going to do is, uh, who wants to start? Okay, you're going to start. I'll be with you. Who wants to do the second? Uh, and I'll stop you and go to the next person. You want to do it together? All right. All right. So, <laughs> all right. I'll give you a three. On three. Ready? <laughs> Just sit right down and we'll hear a tale, a tale of a thankful trip that started from this tropic port aboard this tiny ship. <laughs> the skip was a mighty sailing man. Skip. No. The captain. Safe and sure. Safe and sure. Brave and sure. Brave. Uh-oh. I just lost my I Set sail that day on a three-hour tour. A three-hour tour. The getting rough. The tiny ship was tossed. If not for the courage of the fearless crew, the minnow would be lost. The minnow would be lost. The ship sat ground on the shore of this uncharted desert isle with Gilligan, the skipper too, the millionaire and his wife, the movie star. The professor and Mary Ann here on Gilligan's Island. Let's give a nice round of applause. All right, wait, don't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere. I want to take a picture. Okay, yeah, what's your name? Mark. Okay, Mark Medeiros. Where are you from? Uh, Martinez. Buddy Burke from Walnut Creek. Rodnisha Green from Austin, Texas. Marty Connell from Livermore. All right, I am going to take a little picture here, and I'll get your emails. Be sure to see me, and I will send you an email after. Um, I don't know if – yeah, we're going to get you all in together. What I want you to do is get really – Marty, if you want to sort of get on the side here and get – Yeah, you right there, buddy there, and you want to get right there. And – you get it? Okay. That's Siri. <laughs> 
All right, let's try this again. Now, we got one, so, uh, but, okay. Yeah, not this button, that button right there, that button. The other one will start Siri up, and she's going to say, what are you doing? <laughs> okay, that, that's it. We got about four or five of them, so that's good. All right, thank you. Let's give them a nice round of applause for that serenade for Don. Now, if we could have the house lights up so Don can see the people here, and uh, we will have some audience questions here, if anybody has any questions. Could we get the spotlight off? Is that possible? Leave it on? Oh, okay, no, I guess we have to. Yeah, leave it on, I guess. So it's still difficult for us to see, but uh, so anybody have a question? All right, we'll start off with you right there. No? Oh, you're just waving. Okay, back back there I see somebody with a hat on. Oh, my God. Um, uh, we, you know, several of us really kept in touch. Alan, Bob, Natalie. I was very close with Bob. I was very close with Natalie. And the professor, of course. I adore him. The professor's still alive. Ginger's still alive, and I'm still alive. That's it. That's only the three of us. Um, what was your other question? Oh, I don't, we never knew. She would never tell us, and I don't know how she did it because she said, I never tell anybody. And we shared a doctor once. And I said, Ed, how old is she? Old Dawn, old. No, no, no. How old is she? Old Dawn, that's all I'm saying is old. So when she died, we never knew. I don't know how she did a passport. But when she died, she had a, a young gentleman that was staying with her, kind of not a caregiver, but sort of. And Maury posted in the paper that Natalie Schaefer died today at age 91. And I went, what? He said, well, about three months before she passed away, she said, you know, when I die, I want you to put down how really old I am. I want everybody to say, what? And, of course, we did. She probably was 60, maybe 65. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. she. Yeah, and I think I think Bacchus was too. Oh, she was wonderful. She was just exactly like her character. She was. She was just great. Anybody else? Yeah, go ahead. Many. You know, when you audition many, I think I – think, uh, I, I recall the other day and thought, I can't even believe this happened to me. When I first came to Los Angeles, I went, w went to work right away. And I auditioned for, I can't think of the name of it, Billy Wilder. Do you remember, Marsha, what the name of it was? Three-something. I don't remember what it was. Billy Wilder was huge. Some like it hot, okay? Pretty big director. It'd be like going to Quentin Tarantino today or Spielberg. I didn't know. I was just new, you know? And I went in, and it was down to three of us. Tuesday Well, Pamela Tiffin, and myself. And screen tested and everything. And now looking back on it, I thought, my gosh, to have that opportunity. And he sat down with me and he said, you're either from Oregon, Washington, or Nevada with your accent. I went, accent? He said, yeah, I can tell. Where are you? And I'm from Nevada. I thought that's pretty cool because we don't have accents like Southerners or English or whatever. But um, well, I don't know. I, everything you audition for, you want. Uh, I want to do Broadway. I, I really want to do Broadway. I've got a couple plays that, that I'd really like to do. And, and the fact that I did off-Broadway this year, I've got a reality show in development called Hunt Our History, and it's a scavenger hunt in cities that you don't know anything about so that you as, as an audience member can learn what Cincinnati's all about that you didn't know. And um, th there's a new Discovery Channel called Discover America, and they're really interested in it. I like producing. I like, you know, to be able to do other things. But... Uh, Lion and Winter is it, I'm telling you. This is about this is the most exciting thing I've ever done because it's a phenomenally written play. And of course there's nobody better than Catherine Hepburn. A lot of shoes to fill, but I had a hard time with I mean I wanted to do vagina monologues in New York said, Mary Ann doing vagina monologues, are you crazy? 
I mean, it took them about six months before they cast me in at Chicago. And I just did Love, Loss, and What I Wore by Nora Ephron in Chicago and, and New York. I do like the stage the best. But I'm busy. I'm writing a book. I have a reality show in development. I'm going into Lion and Winter. I ran a film actors boot camp up in Idaho for about seven years where I had actors come in and learn how to, to do their craft. And then we had a family film festival up there like this. Napoleon Dynamite, we discovered. don't know why. It was horrible, I thought. But not my cup of tea, but we did. I mean, I'm busy. And, you know, I, I, I don't have children. And I'm not married. And I took care of my mother for a very long time, took care of my ex-husband for a very long time. And it's now kind of my time. And my mind is constantly going. As long as my body keeps up and I have good health, I'm, I'm very blessed to be able to do what I love and have my whole life. It's work. It's depressing sometimes because you don't get to do what you want. But it's, if you love something you're doing, it's not work, really, you know. Would that I could still get in the shorts to lay around now, probably around my ankle. I don't know. They're only this big. I was going to say what I'm doing when I'm coming out with my book. I think I'm going to hold the shorts up and say now because they've talked about doing a Gilligan's Island movie and a Gilligan's Island Broadway. I said whoever can fit into these could play Marianne. And then the other question is, what did I wear under those? I wore something, and they didn't have thongs, and I don't remember. That's one question I would not ask at an interview. <laughs> I think it would sell quicker if I told you what I wore under it. No. <laughs> Anybody else have any questions? Oh, uh, I read. Um, what do I do for fun? What do I do for fun? I'm a game player. I love games. I mean, I like mind games. I like that. I, I'm always there's always something going on in my house. I, I like poker. I love football. I pick a team every year. Tampa Bay this year, I think. Um, I love to dance. I, I don't. I don't go out very much. I love. To, I love to entertain. I think that's basically what I do: is have people over my house. I like that. I like. I like intimate conversation. I like to be able to talk to somebody about something. You know, normally when we when we're on tour like this, it's the same twenty-two questions, the same thing. And you know, you you have to be gracious and listen to everybody because they've all it's the first time they're talking to you. But I like to, to have my mind stimulated. I like. I like to. I like the politics. I like the football. I like the all of that. CNN is on at my house ninety percent of the time. Well, I paint. I love to paint. I'm not good at it, but I, I, I don't mean walls. I mean art. If you want to call it that, <laughs> I like to paint walls too. But um, I think producing. I really like. I like to be in control. I like to create something. I mean, to take this this hunter history is just a thing that or hunt our history. They're changing the name, but it's something that every day I think of a new little idea. You know, I think producing, if if I were starting acting today, women or anybody coming into the business could make a deal. If CBS is going to hire me to do something, then they have to let me produce something. I mean, you know, like Lisa Kudrow and all of – what's her name? Uh, the brunette girl. I mean, I think I would, I'd like to do that. I, I – yeah, I think so. Two and a Half Men. I think Two and a Half Men is one of the most brilliantly written shows. I, I sat on the, in the audience a couple of times. We're not going to get into Charlie Sheen and all that stuff. But they do his little scene, and the audience would roar, and the writers say, and they go back and they do a joke that was even funnier. Doing doing uh, television with an audience is like doing a play. Uh, I, I like it. I like uh, Mike and Molly. Uh, Big Bang I like, but, I, but um, not every single time. Modern Family, not every single time. I do like comedy. I, I, I do. I like to laugh. And there's a new, there's a new uh, stand-up called Louis C.K., I mean, that's a whole other thing. I think stand-up. I love stand-up. Alan Hale's granddaughter. 
called me, and she said, my name is Samantha Hale. I'm Alan Hale's granddaughter, and she's doing stand-up. And I watched her, and she said, you might remember my grandfather. He wore that silly little hat. His name was the Skipper. That's where I got my body because she's kind of plump, you know. And she now she toured the United States and Europe uh, doing a uh, uh, small film about – that might be something you'd bring in here – about music around the world. And she did it herself, carried the camera, did the interview, cut it, edited it, which is interesting. I don't think I would be a director. I'd rather be a producer. Anybody else have any questions? Yeah. I probably never would have done Star Spangled Girl, which is the worst play ever written by Neil Simon. I just had to get myself revved up to walk out on stage and say those words. <laughs> it was just so unfunny. Um, there's a lot of regrets of something you didn't get, but, you know, I think your mental attitude about life everywhere is there's choices, and nothing always, it's not uphill. The world goes like this. It's how you handle the down part. It's how you handle the failures that make a difference in what you do next. Does it defeat you? Does it make you angry? Does it make you work harder? Whatever it is. So I, I think I'm an optimist. So there isn't much that I am really sorry for. I'm, I'm really sorry I didn't have children. It wasn't intentional. I'm really sorry I didn't. But now I'm not so sure I'd want to be the grandmother. I was dating a man when he was 42, and he said, I'm a grandfather. I said, don't you tell anybody that I'm dating a grandfather. I don't. That was a long time ago. It doesn't matter now. But um, not many regrets, no. Isn't that nice to hear? I mean, to myself, I never even thought about that. Thanks for asking that. I'm pretty lucky. Somebody in the back there? Well, no, I don't think Tina would ever do anything with me. I don't think so. No, I don't think so. We should do a play together. I mean, we could do Odd Couple with our eyes closed. But Ginger and Marianne, you'd wipe out the world, you know? But, mm -mm, no, she's she's very... Um, I'm not bad rapping her at all. She's just very aloof and was not happy she did the show and has not posed with the picture with me for a very long time. No. Well, she's a beautiful woman, but I, it, I think she regretted doing the show. And it's really too bad because she was fabulous. And, you know, you might never have known who she was, although she was a Broadway star. She did um, Little Abner and she did, uh, what was that Rock Hudson picture? She Basil Laker or something like that, where she was a big sex symbol and really beautiful and sang and all of that. So she was a movie star when she came aboard, and I think that's probably she didn't maybe really know that it was what a television series was like, kind of. And she was great in the role when you saw the other two gingers who were good actresses, but they didn't have the same. She had it. She was just perfect for it. Tall, too. I was on a box all the time. I was because everybody was six feet practically except Natalie, so they had me on a box. I mean, if you don't see your feet, I was always, I could get, you know, feet a little taller, longer legs, something. There was a game. There was a game. There were bathtub toys. I've got half of one. Little boats and little skippers that you put in the bathtub when you were a little kid. There was a game. Oh, the cookie jar. Yeah, thank you. Target did a um, hut. And if you open the lid, it plays the theme song. Now, my friend over here who's with me has cats, and she keeps the food in there. So when she wants to feed the cat, dun, 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 the cats come running. <laughs> I sell those on my website, I think. <laughs> You're welcome. Anybody else? Any final questions here? Yeah. Well, this is a cute story because I was at the University of Washington, and I was my college sweetheart was an All-American quarterback for the football team at the University of Washington. But the year before I got there, he was dating a girl by the name of Sharon Vaughn, who was Miss Washington. So Miss Washington and Miss Nevada were right across the street from each other in uh, the sorority house. So just as I 
went off to Atlantic City. He said to me, now, whatever you do, beat Sharon. I said, okay. She placed third. They said I was 12th, but they think they lie. They only tell you the top 10, so they probably tell everybody they're 12th so you don't feel so bad. <laughs> Anybody else? Oh, Marty? Well, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, you sort of have not necessarily the right, but if the character is really like Jim Back has ad-libbed every time he walked off stage, and Natalie used to say, he's upstaging, he's upstaging, he's always ad-libbing. So then he would teach her to ad-lib, and then the two would be going on forever and ever and ever. Um, hmm. I think maybe Bob, see, Bob didn't rehearse. It was wonderful to watch him work. It just that, that that character came in. Maynard G. Krebs was another one. The character just comes out of him. It just he's a really was really a genius, I think. And maybe the Russell might have said a couple of stuff, but no, the writers wrote and you wrote you better say what they like. They get bigger bucks. Probably get residuals. <laughs> yeah. Uh uh-uh. uh. And there's a big question about whether he had a first name or not. I mean people keep saying it was Willie Gilligan, but no. It was Gilligan, and, and Sherwood Schwartz was very conscious about, he put Alan and, and Russ, I mean, Alan and Bob in the same clothes, but Charlie Chaplin wore the same clothes, but Laurel Hardy wore the same clothes, so she always kind of recognized that, and I think it was the same thing. I think the, he knew the comedy. He knew what was going to work. Okay, we're going to have to wrap it up, but there's somebody who is, uh, there's, uh, I'll take the question from, yes, you, I know you've been raising your hand a couple of times here. Oh, there are people way back there. Hi, oh, yeah. you guys. No, I'm an only child. Well, actually, I, my father and stepmother adopted two children. My brother is gone now, and my sister, I, I, that was 15. So it was almost like I was Aunt Dawn. You know, I didn't live with them. My parents were divorced when I was four. Always good friends. My mother and father were good friends. I felt I had two families that loved me, but I don't come from a big family. I don't know what it's like to have a family. I have some friends, you know, like all the kids are there and all that. I have no idea what that's like. I have brothers and sisters that fight and share the toys, and I don't have any idea what that's kind of like. And yet, when my mother passed away, she was an only child. My father's gone. And when I go, the genes are gone. There is no more of us, which makes me sad because my dad and mother were terrific people and pretty smart. My mom, my dad was phenomenal. And when I... <laughs> Thanks. And there was one final question right, right there. That person, was, no, the lady back, somebody right there, No. I thought I had seen a second hand come up there. But we have to finish up because uh, we have to move on to the next event. So uh, I want to thank you, Don, for taking the time to talk to us here. And everybody else, I'm sure, enjoyed it as much as I did. Thank you. Thank you all for coming. And the questions were just great. And have a wonderful, wonderful life. If I don't see you again, if I have a book coming out, come stand online and we'll chat. Thanks. Dawn Wells, it's always a pleasure to have her here at On Screen and Beyond, and it was so much fun to meet her and uh, have her on stage, and we talked, and, and, and the audience got involved, and it was a lot of fun, really enjoyed it. And then uh, it, it's uh, when you go to a film festival like that, especially a smaller one, uh, you actually can have time uh, to talk to these people, and uh, you know you don't have to be part of the media or anything like that, and you can get to talk with them. And uh, a bunch of us just actually sat in the lobby of the hotel that we were staying at and uh don was down there with us and we were there till three in the morning you know so it was just 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 talking about different things so it was a lot of fun and uh love having don on the show so uh, we thank her very much for taking the time 
And let's see, next week we have another great guest coming your way. I've been on the phone with a lot of different uh, celebrities gearing up for some more interviews. And, of course, that's just a constant thing that I do. But uh, we've got some great ones coming your way and uh, some people that have been suggested. And we love hearing from you. So make your suggestions at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com. I'm going to see that. I will try to get that person on. Uh, I apologize if I can't get the person, but, you know, sometimes either I can't find them or uh, they're just not available and, uh, you know, just do what we can. So uh, don't be afraid to send it to me. And don't be afraid to send me an email. Love hearing from you. Uh, love getting emails from all over the world. We've had so many people. Uh, we got a really large amount of Asian people who listen to us. And, of course, the U.S., we get a lot there. But uh, we get all kinds of uh, emails from people all over the world, uh, Ireland, England, uh, Germany, uh, just uh, Switzerland, just so many different places. And uh, we love hearing from you. So be sure to email us at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com. If you are on Facebook, be sure to like us. If you are on iTunes, be sure to leave a review. And we appreciate that. Uh, somebody asked me again, what is the difference of listening to the show on on screen and beyond or going to itunes and get it well if you go to itunes uh of course you have to have itunes to play it and it'll play on your ipad or your uh your ipad touch or ipod touch rather or your iphone or anything like that but uh, what you get or on your computer but what you get by listening to it on iTunes, you're going to be seeing pictures of either uh, the actors or the people or the, the DVDs we're talking about. And you can watch things, too. So uh, that's a, a lot of fun to do, too. But uh, you can't do it on uh, a, a, some devices. So it's strictly so it's an MP4. So uh, uh, all that technical stuff, you know, um, I don't know. But anyways, uh, if you want to do that, a lot of people do that. We get a lot, a lot of downloads that way. So... What do you say? I think it's a wrap for this week. Next week, join us once again because we're going to have a great guest coming your way when we once again take you on screen and beyond. I'm Brian Zemrak. Take care. Uh -huh.